You're listening to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Well, welcome to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn, and I am joined by Mr. Dan Burkholder. Dan, it's it's been a few weeks since we've been together on a podcast. It's good to uh, be doing this today. It's good to hear your voice. The band's back in town, baby. That's right. The band is back <laughs> together. We didn't break up. Just no. the life stuff. That's what happens when yeah. you get old, Dan. Is it? I wouldn't yeah. know. Wait, are you older than me? <laughs> no, I'm older than you. You're older than I am, Dan. Yeah, I am. Yeah, Dude, it does happen. Life responsibilities, but here we are. And speaking of life responsibilities, Dan, today we are talking about men as protectors. This is, after all, the Wilderness Warrior podcast. So one of the things we're going to argue today and we're going to talk about, we're going to unpack, is why and how men should be protectors. Before we, we delve into that, I want to ask you, Dan, have you seen instances, especially in the church culture, but have you seen instances where people are actually pushing back on this idea that men should defend themselves, their families, personal defense, uh, Second Amendment, armed protection? Do you yeah. see people pushing against this? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there are probably a couple different fronts where people push against this. One is just unfamiliarity with firearms yeah. or with men that have strength or that are trained and automatically just write everything off as like machoism or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. So like the, the feminization of culture is definitely one of the areas that I see that in. And then the other one is I think just an outflow of like a radical two kingdoms sort of theology, which would essentially to summarize say the only thing that matters is the spiritual world and the church world and everything else just kind of doesn't really matter. And in some ways it leans towards asceticism, you know, like putting off of good things, physical things and saying those things are bad. And what that leads to, I think without going down the rabbit hole too much is that essentially nothing in the physical world really matters that much. And so you say, say crazy things like, you know, it doesn't really matter if somebody comes in here and shoots, you know, shoots up the church you know, we're all saved. They're not. And I, I don't know, it just, it does some really weird stuff to people when you start going down that, that bad theological rabbit hole. So I don't know what you've seen. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think there, this two kingdoms can be a part of it. I think also just the uh, pietism that has been a huge influence in American Christianity and in American culture. Same deal, what you're talking about but just where like body, corporeal things, being involved in your culture, community, politics, none of that really matters. The only thing that matters is like you, your quiet time and Jesus and being alone with him. And when you get to things like, well, you know, I might have to use a gun to defend my family or a knife or a tire iron or whatever it is, people think, oh, that's killing. You know, that's that's wrong. Um, and we'll start unpacking some of these these things, but we have sort of also a very shallow understanding of scripture. The scripture actually has a lot to say about personal defense, defense of life, um, right to life, that sort of thing. 
But a lot of people don't know that, even within the church, because it's not something that is typically taught in the church today. So people, again, just sort of have a shallow, shallow understanding of what the scripture teaches on these issues. Um, that leads me, Dan, I, I want to dive into Genesis 2.15 and sort of lay a basis for where we're going to go in today's show. Um, Genesis 2.15 reads as follows. I believe this is the NAS 95. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So there's really two roles that I pointed to um, that man has made for. Um, number one, cultivation or work. And number two, keeping or protecting. Um, so I've, I've said elsewhere, right, that men are made to be workers and they're made to be warriors. Dan, we talked about being a worker being a provider in one of the previous episodes, right? But yeah. now we're talking about being a warrior. Why do you think, just, just as a ground rule thing, why do you think it's so important to, for us to say, look, these, these concepts come from scripture, not from like the NRA, um, not from, you know, John Locke, but those guys and those organizations were actually recognizing a fundamental reality that we're finding here in scripture. Why is that so important to start there? Yeah. Well, you, I mean, whenever someone makes a truth claim or says something is good, you know, like, Oh, it's good that you should do X, Y, or Z. Right. It's, it's necessary to examine the foundations of where that belief comes from. Why is that thing good? And so why right. is it good that the founding fathers of the United States put in the second amendment to say that you should keep and bear, uh, bear arms that should not be infringed upon. Right. Well, they were recognizing something that's in scripture something that's in the foundation of reality, but ultimately God has given us in his word to say that this is not a government that is granting you the ability to, to defend yourself and to overthrow tyrants, but this is a God-given right that shall not be infringed upon. And so really it's in the fabric of, of reality and it's in the fabric of our humanity is that Protecting from evil is something that is a necessity given to men um, as part of their job description, as you just yeah. pointed out. In Genesis 2, man was made, and here your, here's your job description. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to, to, to keep and to provide. That's what you're supposed to do, to be, like you said, a warrior. That's one of the, one of the things that men are supposed to do. So... I. That's why I think it's important to go to the scriptures is to know what you're for. What is a human? What is a man? And that's one of the things that you need to be able to provide those that God has given to you. That's why God made men strong. Uh, elsewhere, Paul says that women are the weaker vessel. Like literally they are. <laughs> women aren't beating men's right. weightlifting records. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's huge. I also think it's huge to go back to Genesis, so much of scripture looks at Genesis, uh, gender roles and things mm -hmm. like this, a purpose. Uh, morality is really a reflection of what is man made for, right? So when we're talking about ethics, morality, it's all stuff that you can find in Genesis, as you said, like we were watching God in Genesis, God is making man and woman. He's giving them their tasks, their purposes. And I think it also is good because today we, People are like, look, look, Dan, it's 2021. That's not the way it works anymore. We're sending our women to the battlefield. 
And we can point to scripture and say, actually, it's not a cultural thing. It's a creational thing. Yeah. And before like 1960, say, pretty much everybody throughout human history would have been like, sending your women to the battlefield is absurd. And I shameful. Mean, it's shameful. Like they're, they're prone to sexual, sexually be sinned against. Um, they're weaker. They're not the people who you want defending. They're the people who you want at home with your children, raising future warriors and generations. Um, and most men throughout history have seen and known that. I think because we don't today, and because people are intentionally trying to uh, bury those truths, I think that's why we have to go back to these purpose statements in Genesis, and it can be so helpful. Yeah. You know what's r- really interesting with the Genesis narrative and why Jesus is the better Adam is because men were made to die in a way. And so, you know, in the garden, uh, sin had yet to enter the world, but, but there was a dragon in the garden. And at that tree, Adam, he didn't, he didn't kill the dragon. He didn't sacrifice himself for his bride and right. sin and death entered the world. And so Christ, the most like the epitome of masculinity and of humanity, he died for his bride. And so that's men were made uh, to be saviors in that way, to be sacri- you know, to be sacrificed for the sake of others. And so yeah. in a lot of ways, that's just, just like Adam in every man, it's, that's a desire. It's something that's, that's laudable. It's a good virtue to want to sacrifice yourself for others. It's shameful if on the Titanic, the men were preventing women from getting into the lifeboats. Right. I mean, that history would not look fondly upon that. No. But that's essentially what women in battle is, is that we're sending our women, you know, to die. And like Doug Wilson says, sperm is cheap, you know? Yeah. Like men can die. <laughs> yeah. Women are, are, are uh, very valuable in building the, the uh, cultures because of the family and the home being the foundation of culture. And men yeah. are supposed to go out and take them anyway. I could go down this rabbit trail, but, but that's like built into that garden narrative is Adam. He failed at his responsibilities to sacrifice himself for his bride. Yeah, I think it's so huge. You bring up a great point. And you can see these things in culture. Um, it's the same reason that men are attracted to war movies. Um, it's the same reason that men are just naturally attracted. Like, you know, our boys what do they do? Like they turn everything into a weapon and they're fighting a battle and they're fighting a war because they were, they were made to do this. Um, one of the books I've really loved is Leon Podol's book, The Church Impotent. And he does, I think, a pretty good job of laying out historically what men were for and even what culture recognized that men were for. And there's this great quote in there. He says, a man without scars, a man who is not blood at all is no man. And it, it's tied to man's purpose, as you stated, um, that he gives life to his culture and his people by dying for them on a battlefield. A, a woman does it largely by bleeding in childbirth, and a man bleeds on the battlefield. Um, and and it, working together, you can see how that protects culture. Um, it protects future generations. Um, and that's how you get, you know, uh, the Dominion Mandate actually being fulfilled because you have to be fruitful and multiply, and you need people at the front lines fighting. And I think it's interesting because it's weird in our culture, like we're, we're violence averse in one sense, like men, oh, that's terrible. Men going to war and killing people, that's horrible. 
But then we're like, yeah, but we murder like, you know, 50 million babies. No big deal. Yeah. You know, don't even worry about that. And we send our women to the battlefield. So I think in, in many ways, it's all these Genesis roles that we're supposed to have. We just, in our sin, we just flip them upside down, inside out, whatever. They get all distorted. Yeah, it's a debased mind. Nobody knows what's true or what's right or what's moral. Right. And so, yeah, we kill the most innocent, you know, babies and put women into battle. And then when someone says something mean, we consider it violence. Yeah, that's one of the crazy things, right? Is the, uh, you know, sharing your opinion is doing violence against someone. Complete opposite of really the warrior mindset um, is men is something we talked about in the show, but like being hard so that you're like, you can take criticism and you ought to be able to laugh it off. You know, even recently, just taking some criticism on Twitter, and I, I employed something I read in Doug Wilson, but somebody said on there, like, this guy's a piece of you know what, talking about me. And I responded, I said, you don't know the half of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. it was like, people shut don't. up immediately. They're like, <laughs> oh. And I was like, no, really, you, you have no idea. But as men, we ought to, um, again, we ought to be thick-skinned and tough and, and not have women and children fight our battles for us. Dan, it brings me to another thing that was within the last couple of years kind of popular and has been a popularized idea as we're talking about pietism. I think this relates directly. And this was John Piper. Originally, if I'm getting the story right, Liberty University, uh, Jerry Falwell had been encouraging his students to exercise their Second Amendment rights. I think it was related to like school shootings and stuff like that. He said, listen, you have the right to carry a firearm. Um, in our state, on campus, we welcome you to do that. Defend yourself, defend your families, etc. John Piper responded to that in really sort of an anti-gun and especially anti-self-defense way. And what he said, in, in essence, was, if a burglar came in my house, I would rather him kill my wife because she's prepared for heaven and the burglar's not. So in other words, I'm not going to defend my wife. Now, I want to unpack it, and we will in just a moment theologically, but I knew so many men who that just immediately, they were disgusted. So I want to ask you, Dan, like as a man, how, how does that thing sit with you, that statement that Piper made? How does it sit with me? Well, I tell you what, at the time, so at the time you said that, I was, I mean, big Piper fan. Yeah, okay. me too huge Piper fan. I mean, I grew up just 90 miles outside of Minneapolis. Right. So I would go to um, Bethlehem Baptist Church every now and again to hear him preach. And also having, I mean, grown up in rural Midwest with guns and, you know, big Second Amendment fan, obviously, uh, since God gave it to us, not the United States government. But anyway, that, that was confusing to me in the moment. You know, because he was a trust, a guy I trusted for Mm. my theological development and as like a, a pastor at a different, at a distance in a way. And then he's saying something and I'm like, this is, this is wrong. Like, and I, I don't understand, you know, where this is coming from, why you're, why you're saying these things. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. Yeah. And so I think at first I was really confused, but now I think it's. It's almost uh, in in like a really sad way. It's funny. It's just so effeminate. Yeah. 
to to allow someone to come into your home and to kill your family and you would not you would not defend them like <laughs> i mean such a such a lack of justice and a, a abdication of responsibility that i guess that's what i would say yeah and and i i think that was the interesting thing that a lot of guys that i talked to working class guys they had read the article and they contacted me and were like i just this is repulsive to me and and it's interesting cuz they would say i don't know why like theologically yeah. i'm not sure i could give a, a really robust answer but there again you just have the male instinct the 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 godly male instinct kicking in and saying wait a minute aren't we supposed to protect our women and of course the answer is yes we'll unpack some of the theological reasons uh the first thing i want to do though dan i want to read a quote from joseph boot um joseph boot has a great book it's called the mission of god um this is not from the book this is actually from the ezra institute uh, where Joseph writes regularly, and he actually responded um, some time ago to to the you know the comments that John Piper had made, and this is what he said. He said a, a lot of the root cause behind this is pietism. Pietism also typically derides pleasure in life and the world, and views this present world as comparatively unimportant. Pietists often refuse to enjoy good food, marital sex, beauty, and indeed life's many joys with clear parallels to medieval asceticism. You brought that up earlier, the asceticism, right? Yeah. Out of such a distorted view of reality, pacifistic ideals also emerged and are quite common within pietism, according to which being killed by thugs assaulting you in the street or being slain by an invading military force is actually preferable to killing one of them since the pietist knows, quote, he is going to heaven, but the hoodlum doesn't know Christ and might go to hell. This kind of pious sentimentality is commonplace in today's evangelicalism, where God's law is neither known nor regarded as important. The salvation of individuals from hell is seen as the preeminent concern of the faith for the pietists, not the glory, justice, and kingdom rule of God. So, it's an interesting statement. I I think that Joseph is right, and I think he hits on a really big, important thing, which is, letting the law of God rule in our life, right? Taking dominion, but saying, look, are we, are we going to let the secular pagan de- define what self-defense should be? Are we actually going to look at the scripture? Like we have a lot of church history, um, even since uh, the death of Christ. And then before that as well, in Old Testament history, scripture actually teaches a lot on this subject. Um, but I think a lot of the pietism doesn't really take that into account. Yeah. And you know, it's really funny because in that quote, uh, it's from John Piper that I learned about the glory of God being the highest aim of everything that exists, the whole purpose of everything. And he's also one that coined the phrase Christian hedonism. Yeah. But then you see when the rubber meets the road, it's just an inconsistency. And we've seen more inconsistencies from guys like Piper, but I mean, heck, if I was in the spotlight and had to write and, and such as, as much as him, I'm sure that you'd find gross inconsistencies in my own theology that I'm not even aware of. But yeah, but yeah that um, the ignorance of God's law or the essential antinomian sort of view of the scriptures and of the Christian life has resulted in, well, 
Christianity as we know it today, which is essentially antinomianism is is essentially a disregard for God's law. You know, it's ignoring, you know, in 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 the least charitable terms. But but yeah, it's it's a God's law was great for old covenant Israel, but it has no no effects today or no it's not binding today at all. And so it's easy then having been discipled in those sorts of ways the last 100 years the church would then disregard God's law or be ignorant of it. Yeah. And so yeah, then you could make statements like sure if if the Muslims decided to invade the United States, I wouldn't fight back because I know I'm going to heaven and they're going to hell if I shoot them. It's like, well, right. you're a Calvinist too, so that doesn't seem to make sense. <laughs> but yeah, that, anyway. that's exactly right. Well, I, I think too, Dan, I want to kind of start to unpack now some of the uh, theological reasons for you know what we're talking about. Um, the first of which I think is to point out that something we've said earlier, but that Historically, even in the founding of America, the reason that we have a Second Amendment is because men were looking predominantly to the scriptures. That was the culture in which people were thinking, even things like constitutional government, um, to some extent, are based on what you read about Moses, um, the elders, the delegation process, the rule of Israel, stuff like that. Um, So a lot of that is coming from scripture. Uh, the people who wrote about it at the time, you can look at the Federalist, the Anti-Federalist. There's a huge scriptural influence on how people are thinking about the foundation and formation of government. One of the most important people, I think, was someone like John Locke, who, in, who you know, he influenced a lot of the, the great thinkers of that time. But it's interesting to me that someone like John Locke spoke about and assumed, right? They just assumed that, A, humans had a right to life. And B, that because they had a right to life, they have a right, what we would call an unalienable right, you know, from God, not from government, but they have a God-given right to self-defense for themselves and other people. And again, as we said, I think it's so important that we unpack why that is, because today people do not take that for granted um, in, in many circles. So the first thing I want to point to is Genesis 2-7. Uh, where we're told that God is the one who breathes life into man. So I think just from the very beginning, where does life come from, right? Um, Life comes from God. And so he's the giver of life. And then he's going to be the one who orders how that life is to be regarded, how it's to be treated, how it's to be defended. All that is based on what God says and not what a pagan culture says um, about, you know, this subject matter. So we get, Dan, in the Ten Commandments, in the Sixth Commandment, we get, this is Exodus 20.13, the prohibition against murder. Now, it's interesting, and, and I want to look in a second here at both the Westminster Confession of Faith and some things that John Calvin has said, but I, I wonder how much you've, you've looked into this or, or read up on it. They all seem to be operating on a basis of understanding the ten, or the sixth commandment in the Ten Commandments as not only it's not only the negative prohibition, it also implies a positive that we are duty bound to protect innocent life, including our own. Yeah, I mean that's given in the yeah it's given in the case law as well the application of the yes. Ten Commandments, and you see that over and over. 
like if you if you accident if a man he throws a rock and it hits somebody by accident and yeah. kills them you know you're not you're not guilty concerning that person the blood of that person right you know if another person comes at you with the intent you know or hides and uh, ambushes you and you you kill them you're not guilty because of self defense you right. know and so and then obviously you have the other side where this is what murder looks like and these are the punishments for it so you see it in the case law uh, again, in the case law is just the application of the 10 commandments, you know? So you yeah. see that over and over again. And I don't think, you know, the thing is, I, I don't think most Christians, I don't even think John Piper, you know, if he was in a jury in a court case where there was a man who was in a bar and somebody came at him with a knife and he drew his weapon and he shot the guy and killed him. I don't think John Piper would convict him of murder but yet he would be in he would then apply his his two kingdoms theology to that and saying like well he shouldn't have done it even though it was just it just anyway yeah i think there's some radical two kingdoms there's some radical inconsistency yeah um, <laughs> uh, for one thing but but i also think dan some of it just comes like these are very like clever theological arguments and defenses like that Piper has made and other people too. But I think the bottom line is I've seen it in elders and church discipline. I've seen it in a number of cases. Sometimes people just don't have the stomach to do what needs to be done. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you have a rabid dog and you got to put it down and it's ugly and it's not going to be pretty. And the men have to step up and they have to protect and they have to do what's right. And there's just a lot of guys in the church today, I think, that don't have the stomach for handling a firearm, handling a knife, the thought of causing injury to someone else. Um, and and I, always, I always go back to things like, yeah, but you read about David and his mighty men, right? You read mm-hmm. about Samson. Like, the pages of scripture are pretty bloody. Yeah. Yeah, David and Goliath, I read it to my boys. My boys are really little. And I was just reading and they're like, daddy, why did they cut his head off? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, that's yep, what David, happened, boys. He took his sword and cut his head off. That's exactly what he did. Yeah, my boys, we, we were actually reading that a couple months ago. And they're a little older, so they've been reading a lot, a lot of uh, Greek uh, literature. We were, I think, yeah. reading through Homer and the Aeneid and stuff like that. And uh, one of my sons said, daddy, when they cut Goliath's head off, why didn't they drink from it? Because that's what you do. You drink blood from the skulls of your enemies. And I was like, oh boy. No, that's pagans, boys. Pagans. Let me teach you about paganism. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but yeah. We're, uh, we're Christians. We don't drink the blood of our enemies. <laughs> that's right. Pagan, pagan truisms. We don't follow those. So uh, one of the things I want to do now is just take a few moments to look at first the Westminster Confession. Um, this will be from the larger catechism, and it's question 135. They're going to unpack uh, the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not murder. But what we're going to see in their understanding um, is that when God's law forbids something, it is also requiring something. Mm-hmm. So in the prohibition of murder, there is also a, a command, a positive command to protect innocent life. So question 135 says, what are the duties required in the sixth commandment? 
And it says the duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of others and of ourselves. So right off the bat, uh, the sixth commandment is saying you have to make a careful study. You have to put in effort to know how to protect and defend life, not only with a firearm, but you know, if you're a parent, you have to know how to protect innocent life in your children, right? You have to feed them and clothe them. This would be uh, contained in what it means to love your neighbor. So, interestingly enough, Dan, in our culture, we've had a lot of talk about loving your neighbor, haven't we? Oh, yeah. And in part of that discussion, I haven't heard much about defending your home, your community, your neighborhood with firearms. And if we have heard it, it was people trashing Kyle Rittenhouse. It was people trashing the couple in St. Louis who was trying to defend their home from a mob. Like, people are irate in chastising these people. But it seems like that's actually how you would love your neighbor is by defending no, them. No, no. Yeah, it's by wearing a mask. Oh. That's what you should do. You should definitely wear a mask. That's how you love your neighbor. You are literally murdering people <laughs> if you don't wear your mask. You know, it's interesting because this precedent has been set up due to failings of the church in history, but um, you know, you see it in the state too with failing to carry out justice. Yeah. You know, by by killing the the murderer you know, that's required from the law. And um, as the same, same way we treat other crimes like sexual crimes. And so it shouldn't be a, a surprise when the, the church has failed to instruct the state and as to what is justice. And then, you know, you have sex criminals that are repeat offenders. You're not loving your neighbor by yeah, doing that. Right. And so it's it's in the church it's in the family and it's in the state all are failing to love their neighbor because of their softness or their inconsistency or whatever their failure to rightly judge the evil doer yeah that that's absolutely right and i i always come back to this cuz people will say well why do we need to follow the law of god today and i said well listen we're going to follow a law we're a people that lives by laws Right. Yeah. Um, so the the question is not why do we have to live by law, but which one? Yeah. And you know, for my money, I think well, I think God's law is gracious. I think God's law is life giving. It is what in Western culture has led to whatever degree of prosperity and peace that we've got to experience. Um, and then and then even now in our culture today, when you see God's law being torn down we have just these heinous things happening in society that everybody would say are bad, you know, from pedophilia to all these sexual uh, deviant behaviors to, you know, you name it, the looting, the rioting, like none of these things are in accordance with God's law. God's law, and, and he actually prescribes ways that we should deal with it. Today, we tend to see those as harsh, right? Yeah. Yeah, we see it as harsh, but God even says things like that they'll defile a people. Yeah. You know, if you if you fail to to pass out right judgment, it defiles a people. Right. And so that shouldn't be a surprise that we're here. But yeah, not following God's law, you from that's it's easy to to make fun of the state, to make fun of the church, you know, to poke holes in the weaknesses there, but ultimately it comes down to you as a man are responsible for protecting those that God has given you responsibility for. That's right. And so that is 
what the sixth commandment requires is that you are to protect, to love your neighbor, to love your kids and your wife. Those are your neighbors. In your neighborhood, in your church, you are responsible to protect them against the men who shed blood, you know, evil men. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one thing um, I've thought about pastorally, but also just as a man in the church that we ought to be, um, as it says in the, the first part, we have to, you know, take all careful study um, to do these things. In other words, like if you're going to defend your, your household, um, this is something I've written a lot on the, the gun industry side of things. But if you're going to, if you're going to protect your household, there's so many things that you don't even know. You don't know that you need to think through, like what kind of loads are you using in your house? Like if you have many thin walls and you've got children in other rooms, like, you know, is shooting FMJ bullets, is that a good idea out of your handgun? Um, it, it's yeah. things like, um, yeah, I have a gun by my nightstand and I'm ready to rock if, you know, if, if the, the boogaloo comes to my front door, but yeah. do you have a flashlight? Have you thought through lighting? Yeah. Um, have you thought through what kind of sights are on your handgun? Do you have night sights? Are you going to be able to pick those up? Um, how are you going to identify? Maybe if you had a camera at your front door, it'd be a lot easier. I could look and see, oh, no, that's my 18-year-old son who's coming home drunk, and I don't need to put lead through the door. You know, I need you, to smack him. Yeah, I no, need, to, I need to kick his butt and you know, put him in some church discipline. But, but not shoot him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so there, my point is there's so many different things that you're going to have to think through as a man, and you should be the one to do that, right? You don't delegate that to your wife. You don't say, well, hopefully it never happens to us because chances are it won't. Or the worst, I trust the police. The police will come. The police are going to come. <laughs> Not good. And I, and I think, Dan, t- to, to be fair, I think so many people um, in the last year uh, were kind of coming awake to that because of the civil unrest, because of the protests, because of the violence that they saw happening. And it was like, you watch the cops not doing anything, and it was a wake-up call to many people. And, and I had many like left-leaning liberal friends who called me and were like, I think I need a firearm. Um, how do, I don't even know how to get one. Where do I get training? Um, can you point me in the right direction? So it's, not even, it's something that crosses the political divide, right? If you're a man and you have a family your instincts at some level should kick in and you say, I, I, need, I need to provide and protect. And again, the whole point here is you're going to have to get training. Like I, I, always, I always hear guys and they're like, oh yeah, I, I, brought a, I bought a brand new handgun, loaded it up. Uh, I put it in a case in my, in my nightstand. I say, okay, great. How many times you shot it? Oh, I never have. Well, what good is a weapon if you don't know how to use it? Yeah. So how would you recommend one gets training? What do you think? What do you think? What are your recommendations for that? Yeah, I think there's a ton of, there's a ton of resources if you, if you kind of just start asking around. So a couple of places that you can check local to usually where you are. Um, number one is like the NRA has uh, instructor and training resources online. So you can just, you can look that up um, and you can find, and we can provide a link for that in the show notes too. But you can just you can look up, hey, classes nearby me, local trainers. Um, a lot of people are going to be starting off with like they don't have a concealed carry permit. Um, maybe they want to start there. That's probably a good a good idea to do that. Um, a carry class, you can take those. That'll give you a very brief 
introduction to shooting, but a lot of states don't actually require uh, any firearms training to get a concealed carry permit. Um, and that's fine. Utah, that's you won't even have Utah. You don't even have to have a concealed carry permit anymore. We're constitutional carry. Yeah, and you're actually seeing that, Dan. Um, the last year, because states look, it worked out in favor of gun owners because states were overrun with people requesting permits. The sheriff's departments and whoever processes the the concealed carry permits, they were like shut down. And the NRA was one of the organizations that was saying, hey, look, if you can't process these in a timely manner, you're infringing on people's rights. Realistically, requiring a permit, I, th- I believe you're already infringing. But that was why so many states, look, there were like six states, I think, this year that went to constitutional carry. Yeah. Because they yeah. said, look, we, we, can't, we can't keep up with the permit process. It's expensive to do so. And look, guess what? They don't need a permit. They have the Second Amendment. Now, on the flip side of that, I'll say as a man and as a shooter, uh, you know, somebody who's training to shoot and all that stuff, it's incumbent upon you to take the responsibility to be good at what you do, especially when you're talking about protecting your family. Yeah. You know, I would. uh, So there's lots of good organizations, lots of places that you can, you know, hire instruction instructors and such. Uh, One of the one of the one good place to start is just in your church. like. You know the guy who's, um, you know who's proficient with his firearms, it, and and watch out for the guys who there are certain guys you want to avoid in the gun world that think they know what they're doing and really they're they don't. They're just a, a lot of talk and bravado. We call those but key, anyway keyboard commandos, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So find find a guy that can mentor you in the church. That would be like one of the one of the places I would look, and then definitely get it outside instructors' opinions as well. Yeah. So that yeah, that's what I would say. So as far as like nuts and bolts kind of stuff, what in your house you'd mentioned like shooting through walls and 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 things like that. What do you? How do you manage that at your place? Yeah. So a lot of it was. Um, I wrote a couple articles. One was for Shooting Illustrated a number of years back, looking particularly at two, two, three rounds. Um, and what you find... So there's a lot of misconceptions. And this is what the article was looking at. W- one is a lot of people think, oh, I'll just use double-op buck and the home shotguns are the best, safest thing. Well, when you look at it, double-op buck actually penetrates further in wallboard than most two, two, three rounds. So... And why are we thinking about that? Because, well, if, again, if you have children in other rooms, um, you're very concerned about overpenetration um, in wallboard, uh, you know, stuff like that. And and the other one would be like if you live in an apartment complex, most of those buildings are, you know, thin walled um, and wallboard is not really going to do too much to to stop rounds if they should, you know, miss the target that you're that you're aiming at. So. A couple of things that I've done is, is just through that research, I've found that, okay, well, a lot of people like Hornady and 223 will make a tack or a tap XPD, I think is what it's called, mm-hmm. round. Well, you start doing your research and it's a Hornady VMAX bullet um, mm-hmm. that's used for law enforcement and sold predominantly to law enforcement. So you think through it and you say, well, what, what are the dynamics of a varmint round? That's what the VMAX is. Mm-hmm. What are the dynamics of a varmint round for self-defense? Well, you're not going to get much penetration, like two to three inches probably through clothing. But 
once it enters, uh, you know, an animal, a body, it's like a grenade going off because it's, yeah, you know, that it, it, it does not want weight retention. It's the opposite of what you're looking for in most big game rounds. So exactly. And I mean, because there's not weight retention, you're not going to have like over penetration, generally speaking. And then you look at it and you say, well, look, federal premium, actually, if you go on their website, you can see what certain loads do and they'll show you like pictures and everything, what they do in wallboard, what they do in clothing, auto glass. It's all part of the FBI testing protocol. So you look at around like the, the VMAX for your 223 and you say, okay, it doesn't over penetrate in wallboard. And if it hits a target, it's pretty much stopping in the target. Okay. That's a good round. So I'm going to make sure that, that my AR pistol, my AR rifle, whatever I'm using in the home for personal defense First of all, like I know where it is. I know where it's located. I've got a strategy and a plan um, for, you know, if, if somebody's breaking in the front door, grabbing the kids, we're all going in this room, right? You're developing mm-hmm. a home defense plan. I thought through the loads. You're going to have, a, you know, in my case, a weapon mounted light. All that stuff's been thought through because, look, you know, it's probably going to be at night. That is likely. And, and so, yeah, again, it's, it's thinking through every single one of those facets. Handgun, same deal. Um, you got to consider that a lot of the personal defense handgun loads are designed, so like a federal HST, that baby is designed to pass FBI protocol. So it's designed to go through barriers to some extent. It's mm-hmm. not like, I'm not sure they would call that round completely barrier blind, but it is made to like go through auto glass and kill somebody. So then mm-hmm. you look at that and you're like, okay, well, I can use that in the home. I just need to know what it's going to do, and I need to be very aware of my surroundings and my situation. Same deal, Hornady, pretty much any Remington, any, any ammo manufacturer is going to have, you know, they're gonna, you're going to be able to find information on what that bullet does. And so you need, yeah. to, you, need to, you need to look into that. Yeah, you know, one of the things I did, so I had a sketchy guy come to my door. Uh, it was maybe two years ago now. It was late at night. I'm sitting at my kitchen table. And I get a soft knock on the door. It's 11 p.m. and I live in a quiet neighborhood. Like I, I, my my road is a dead end kind of road. It, yeah, it's not really a dead end, but it, there's no reason to go down my road, right? Unless you live on it. So I get this soft knock at the door, and I thought it was maybe one of my neighbors. And so I go to the door, and Amelia, my wife, had a wreath hanging on the door window, so I couldn't see out. Oh man! And so I like cracked the door open, and no kidding, it's like. If you're watching like one of the one of the crazy crime shows on TV, the guy that you would have pictured in that show, like the bad guy, was the guy that showed up at my door. <laughs> he was a guy who was wearing a hoodie, black hoodie, and he had face tattoos. And he was like, "Yo, I'm looking for my cousin. He said he lived here." No, your cousin don't live here. <laughs> I shut the door and I locked everything and I had my gun. But, but that made me realize like, you know what? I've got a weak spot in my defense. I need uh, cameras. And so I, yeah. I got, I think it was like the Amazon Blink system. It was like $300 and I've got cameras outside, motion cameras on my house that's hooked up to my phone. So as yeah. soon as I get motion, like the neighbor's cat, which is really obnoxious, but it buzzes my phone. Actually, it doesn't buzz. I've got, I've got drums. So I call it my war drums. They start going <laughs> off at night and yeah. <laughs> look out, look yeah. out. So yeah, one of the things that's really nice about um, home defense is that you can use, get, you have the ground, 
right? You, you get to determine what happens in your house. And so you get to prepare for that. Yeah. And so you, it goes in, like you said, into the type of ammunition that you pick and what caliber and what weapon you have. So like in my upstairs, I do have a AR pistol, but I also have a 20 gauge shotgun with high brass six shot because that does not go through more than one layer of drywall, but it will, you know, it'll make a mess if it, if you shoot somebody with it, uh, Paul Harrell on YouTube, if you ever want to see some really fun videos, more for entertainment, he does a lot of testing with, with drywall and studs and exterior walls and things like that. And, and how certain ammo reacts to it. And you're right. Buckshot is like one of the worst. Yeah. You're going to like look out neighbors, you know, cause <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's coming for you yeah. and it's not controlled, you know? So, um, anyway, that was just one of the things that, that really struck me. Uh, there's a guy at our church. He teaches a lot on, um, on, on home defense. And so he even recommends certain things about like using longer screws and your hinges on your exterior doors. Cause usually you get like, I don't know what they are, inch and a half sort of screws into your hinges and, um, some other like more robust locking devices and things like that to, to make it very difficult for people to enter your home. You know, or like there's cheap buzzers that you can get on your window. So if anybody like breaks glass or opens a window, it'll set off just a, a, a whistling alarm. You know, there are all sorts of things like that. And that, yeah, you know, to prepare, prepare your home. Yeah, it's a phenomenal point. So much of the preparation process is making your home a, a hard target. And, you know, so much of home defense isn't the firearm. Um, it's exactly what you said. Um, one of the things a lot of people often don't recognize is, yeah, the hinges, but also the door jams. Mm-hmm. So we've talked to a lot of law enforcement people and they've said, listen, like the way we break into your house, if we're coming in as SWAT is door jams are pretty weak. Like you've got like a two by four and we just hit it and the whole door is coming down. Um, yeah. So if you want to reinforce the door, you know, you should stack two by fours or something like that on the outside of the, the door frame and the jam, that's a, a way to reinforce it. So stuff like that, um, having high quality exterior doors, uh, good lighting on your house, um, making sure that, you know, you don't have all these dark spots where people can hide in your backyard or whatever. Um, even the yeah. visible presence of cameras can be a huge, uh, huge deterrent because people think, well, you know, even if they see a little dog or a little cat, you know, they're like, ah, oh, that's too much work. It's a hassle. Yeah. It's going to cause yeah, me problems. Any other dog other than mine, I had my alarms go off in my garage. <laughs> it ended up being a mouse, by the way, <laughs> a very active mouse. But I got, I had to kick my dog out of his bed and I tried to push him out in the garage and he ran back inside and went back up to his bed. I don't know if he was too scared or not. And I have a 70 pound German short haired pointer. He's not like it's a little dog. Yeah, but he's old. Anyway, he is old. He's old and he's very sweet. (laughs) (laughs) He's afraid of the dark, man. He's a dope. Yeah, he's a dope. Anyway, yeah, having a dog, having good lighting, having cameras. um, There are all sorts of different things that you can do to set up your house um, to to prevent people, you know, prevent it from being a good target. But then you, you go even outside of that and always be anytime I'm with my family, I'm usually carrying. And one of the things that you have to do is just be situationally aware and, and to know what's going on around you. Same thing with church. 
Uh, one of our biggest concerns at church is if we get a shooter that comes into our church that we're going to shoot each other because I, I don't Crossfire, know how many guns yeah. we, I don't have, know how many guns we have in our church any given Sunday, but we would give sportsmen's warehouse a run for their money. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, um, you know, it, it's important to be situationally aware when you're outside the home as well. Yeah. And to uh, be paying attention to your kids and who's around. Uh, I'm sure most of you guys do. But when you're at the park and you're watching your kids, like don't zone out on your on your phone, like pay attention to what's going on around, you know, and there's just some really simple uh, habits that you need to build in order to be faithfully obeying God's commands to pr- protect those that you're responsible for. And those include things like just paying attention. And I, I know we all do this to a degree. Like you, you've thought like, oh man, if, if a guy busted into this building right into this restaurant right now and starts shooting it up, here's exactly what I would do. And, um, it sounds crazy when it comes out of your mouth, but you've done it before. And oh, that's yeah. not necessarily a bad exercise to have, you know, and we're not like afraid that at any moment something's going to happen. But it's just a good exercise to have, you know, when you're when you're in a new space. Yeah, it's about being prepared, um, and that's what men should be. Uh, one of the things that I've done in the past, Dan, is uh, we've been to a couple different training facilities. Um, this is also a good thing if you can if you can do it a couple times a year. Like you train regularly, local range, all that stuff. But um, if you can get out a couple times a year and do some some different courses, um, I've been to Gunsight Academy as one in Arizona. And one of the ones that we did was a uh, force on force. Um, it was actually with a partner, their team tactics course, but it was really helpful because they have all these buildings and stuff and they give you simunitions and you're put in all these scenarios. So you're like the one they put you in a restaurant and you're, you're sitting there with your buddy and like a person comes in and starts like assaulting the, the hostess you know, you've got to decide what to do. So kind of funny story. I did it with my, my buddy, Dave, the restaurant scenario, like the guy hadn't even done anything yet. And he was just like yelling at the, the clerk and my buddy, Dave, like he pulls his gun. He's like, get on the ground now. And then I pull my gun. Cause he pulled his gun, you know? And then like the waitress comes out and I'm like, get on the ground. And like, we're telling <laughs> everybody to get on the ground. And the, the instructor as like a, a longtime veteran California police officer. And he had some choice words for David and I that I won't repeat, but he was like, he goes, you just brandished your weapon. He, he goes, boys, he goes, I'm going to call you Starsky and Hutch. I don't know what that was, but he's like, you both are going to jail. Like, that's not how this scenario works. But it was, it was interesting because I think everybody else in our class that did that drill, like and somebody got shot, you know? And me and Dave were like, we didn't get shot. And they're like, yeah, but you guys are Starsky and Hutch. You guys are going to jail. Like, yeah, um, but we're alive, <laughs> but, but we're alive to go there. So the, the really awesome thing about it was Dan, even screwing up in the way that we did. Um, it was so helpful because you're put in these scenarios where you're like, yeah, what would I do? I mean, at what point do you respond? At what point can you respond? At what point can you take your firearm from the holster and, yeah. And, and so you're walking through that in a real world uh, situation and it, and it makes you think about things like, would I sit in the middle of a restaurant with my back to the door? Well, not anymore. Yeah. I want to no. be able to see 
every time I you walk want in, your buddy Dave to get shot first in that situation, not exactly. you. Exactly. But you know, it's like <laughs> I, I, I sit in a restaurant. I want to be in a place where I can see, and particularly like I walk in every restaurant I walk into. I'm like, okay, there's an exit. There's an exit. There are the bathrooms, and I'm kind of positioned. I know all of the license plates in the parking lot. Yeah. Well, I get not it. Jason yeah. Bourne. Yeah, not quite that level, but um, <laughs> I know everybody's social security that's in the restaurant at that time. You know, that that story, hey, by the way, reminds me. So I did yeah. some training with the local SWAT team, Davis County SWAT team. Uh, they were they're always looking for volunteers. Oh, really? For people to be the hostage taker. Really? In their SWAT training situations. Yeah. So they give you a Glock 19 with some munitions. And they have their guys come and break into the house where you have a hostage that you're holding. Dude. And yeah, it's pretty wild. So, I mean, you're I know allowed to how shoot at to, him in the drill. You're, oh, yeah, you have to. Oh, like, game that's, on. Yeah. I mean, they'll tell you like to shoot this time or to not shoot, or, or they'll have multiple bad guys. And yeah. The hostage is only with one of them. And so the other is supposed to engage. Anyway, so. I know how to take a hostage and in a house and to shoot police officers now, thanks to their training. So basically, Dan, what you're telling me is you got to be Hans Gruber and Die Hard for, for a short time. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I, I shot, did. I shot. I emptied my gun every time. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> oh, man. Well, you want to make yeah, sure that they're great. getting good training out of it. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, the other guy who did it with me, he, he resisted arrest as well. And he's like six oh. foot six, 280 <laughs> pounds of muscle. So anyway, it's, it was pretty fantastic. That's awesome. But, and, and I'm sure, the, I'm sure though, like you probably learned a lot too from that oh, man, experience. It was, yeah. The way watching these guys move, uh, and how they cleared a, a room. I mean, it was incredible yeah. to, to see these guys operate. So they were, I mean, they were going through rooms so quickly and the way that they watched each other's back, um, where they looked in a room first, you know, the corners that they're aware of, uh, how they approached me as the bad guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and things like that. It was really, it was really interesting to watch these guys work. It was almost fluid. They were so smooth. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that, that kind of brings up a good point is like, you, you have to have the training to do it. Um, and, um, practice. I also think kind of circling back, having somebody locally in your church that can help train people, um, and then you can train other men in your church, but um, that you have somebody locally, um, because you can grab, you know, for men's groups, you know, you can grab a few guys and say, hey, you know, this many times a month, or once a month, I don't know, with ammunition right now, maybe no times per month, but yeah, we're going to get together and at least we're going to work on draws and um, some different you know, we can work on some different combat type stuff. Yeah. There are tools that you can use. There are tools you can use that don't require ammunition. I mean, they're um, usually laser sort of systems with apps on your phone. I mean, it's, it's not a replacement for the actual thing, but it is good training to learn your draw uh, target acquisition, things like that. So there are helpful things that don't require it. And you should be doing that anyway. If you carry, you should be practicing your draw and, target acquisition and, and things like that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Well, I want to, um, Dan, I want to kind of wrap things up here. 
um, with, I'll finish question number 135 in the Westminster Confession, and then uh, maybe look quickly at a John Calvin quote, just to solidify what we're talking about. So question 135, again, duties of the sixth commandment. Uh, The very end of the question says, we have the duty to comfort and succor the distressed. Succor as in, I guess that's like a form of comforting. S-U-C-C-O-U-R. Yeah, it's not like punching, like a yeah, not, sucker punch. Don't yeah. sucker punch them. <laughs> the distressed. <laughs> but you want to like help them, I guess is the point here. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so right. to sucker the distressed and protect and defend the innocent. So again, I think it's just important for us to reiterate that it is important as Christians to take the Sixth Commandment seriously, and we, we are duty-bound to protect the innocent and the weak. Question number 136, I'll read real quick, is, is very closely related. It says, what are the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? And it says, the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are the taking of life of ourselves. So that's interesting. Suicide is included in this. Or of others, except in the case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. So I guess my point with that one is just that some translations say thou shalt not kill, um, and people think that all killing is unlawful, but that's certainly not historically um, how any of the church tradition has taken it. They've looked at it and they said, look, there's such a thing as just war theory. Um, There is also a just personal and self-defense. It's interesting, Dan, because what, what they're saying here too um, is that if you're not willing to do those things, you could actually be guilty of or an accomplice to murder. So back to the John Piper situation, if you watched as a man shot and killed your wife and you literally did nothing, you'd be guilty of murder or at least uh, an accessory to it. It would strike me as just if someone who had the ability and responsibility to stop the innocent from being repressed, uh, oppressed or killed. Right. stood aside and did nothing. It would make me very mad and they, it would be very shameful and they should be considered an accessory to murder. Right. So yeah, that's how it strikes me, Eric. Beautiful, Dan. That's how does it beautiful. strike you? <laughs> it strikes me as I like it. And well, I think, I, I think the bigger, the biggest deal for me, honestly, is we need the historical help on these issues. Cause we really suck at, dealing with this kind of thing as, as a church culture today. Um, the levels of effeminacy in the church are so high that um, I just, on, especially on those issues, I, I just don't trust somebody like John Piper or, you know, uh, any other big evangelical leader who's telling me not to defend my wife. I just don't care what they think on that. <laughs> you know, so much of my church uh, or my theology and our ecclesiology and, and things like that are formed by things that are more than 200 years old. Like anytime uh, our well, pastor that's a good here introduces a song. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, actually, Nassim Talib he, he talks about that with, with medicine and, and other things like be very suspect of anything that hasn't existed for the, you know, for at least a thousand years. Does that include so, the vaccine? Anyway, anytime like, yeah. Oh, 100%. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah. You should be very suspect of vaccines. I don't care if we get canceled. Not to mention the just the moral um, implications of how vaccines are developed. In anyway, uh, this isn't about vaccines, though. But it could be. It could it, be. We it, can make it. You know what? We're going there. No, I was just going to say, like, 
when my pastor introduces a song, I'm like, okay, this hymn, how old is it? If it's, if it's newer than 200 years, not interested. <laughs> yeah. And, and some people, Dan would read that as like weird, I guess, but, um, it's not, it's not snobbery about new things, but I think it's just what the recognition that so, like it, it, this to me, this goes back to like Bible translations when, when guys today in the midst of our crappy, like sexually confused culture are saying even conservative guys who are saying, you know, we changed these passages that have been this way for 2000 years. We just thought it would be more helpful culturally. I'm automatically like, nope, hard pass. I'm not, I don't want anything to do with what's trendy right now because we can be led astray so easily. I don't know if that's what's motivating. Yeah. So, so here's the thing with a lot of this, like you, there's a reason that the classics are classics is because they transcended some uh, idea of culture in, into yeah. a, almost like a timeless stood the test of time. It, it was stood the test of time. Yeah. It's been tested and it's been proven to be a value for humanity for sometimes for thousands of years. And so you don't want to be trendy. Trendy is not cool. It's just cool for a moment. That's why pop culture you look at pop culture art from the 90s, it's terrible. It sucks because it never really was beautiful. It's not transcendent. Yeah, even the, um, I, I really got a hold of this a lot in like reading Anthony Esselin was, he'll yeah. bring out a lot of the beauty in like William Wordsworth or, uh, you know, the Aeneid or something like that. And you're like, you really start to understand like, wow, our culture sucks. Like, yeah. The it's song really of the year hollow. was it's, this like dirty WAP song, whatever it was, you know, like, and yeah. then you compare that to, you know, whether it's Greek literature or even like Charles Dickens or, you know, Victor Hugo and Les Mis, it's like, wow, we're like pygmies, <laughs> you know, we yeah. think we're so trendy and so cool, but we're actually just infantile. I want to close Dan with a little bit of John Calvin. This is John Calvin as quoted in the Institutes of Biblical Law. Uh, R.J. Rushdoony, one of one of my favorite books, really helpful, um, just examining the Ten Commandments. But Calvin says this about the issue of "Thou shalt not murder." What what does what does it fully mean? And he says God not only forbids us to be murderers, but also prescribes that everyone should study faithfully to defend the life of his neighbor. So you see, Calvin is connecting it to the positive aspect as well um, as. It's, it's under the broader heading, what Jesus calls the, the second great commandment, which is the second part of the table, right? Love thy neighbor. So yeah. again, making that connection. Calvin will go on to say that we should not only live at peace with men without exciting quarrels, but also should aid as far as we can the miserable who are unjustly oppressed and should endeavor to resist the wicked lest they should injure men as they list. So, again, I think it's just helpful. Historically, it's, it's helpful to see that, um, you know, so many times today we're like, oh, what personal defense? What should we believe? What should a Christian believe? You hear some of the answers going around in the Christian world and you think, wow, this must be the first time that people have ever examined this question. <sighs> and then you realize, no, these people just don't know what they're talking about. Um, it, it always reminds me, Dan, like people's attitude towards scripture today, even pastors from watching the show psych but uh gus says to sean he says sean you don't know what's in the bible and he goes yes i do 
He's like Genesis, Exorcist, Leviathan, do the right thing. And, you know, I, I thought, man, that's so true. Like, people tell me all the time, well, the Bible says don't judge me. Um, that's not, I'm like, you have no clue. Like, you're using it, but you actually have no clue what that passage means. Again, anyway, the point being, very important to have help of older, wiser, seasoned, time-tested theologians, I think. Yeah, we, you should be known. So, so some of the most interesting people I know have had no original thoughts themselves. You know, there's uh, Chesterton. I think he said, there's no sin so great as originality. <laughs> like, you should stand on the, on the shoulders of people that are way smarter than you, that have thought about things, you know, and that have been tested over time to be true. And so the reason that these guys, it seems like, you know, oh, the church has never had to answer this question is because they're trying to be original and they, they're actually ignorant. So, yeah, so you should look at old things and old ideas. Do you think part of it, Dan, is the, like, people know what's, like, I, I'm pretty sure Piper knows what's in the Westminster Confession. But I, maybe. well, I mean, he takes, you know, um, in Desiring God, at least, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's question number one in the confession. Mm -hmm. So he's at least aware of that. But, but don't you think part of this too is um, in our culture, it's just not popular to address some of these truths. Um, people are very, again, very, just very squeamish in our culture. Like uh, anything masculinity is detested. Yeah. And one of the masculine traits is violence. Like Jordan Peterson says, I've said like, good men have to be violent. They have to have a capacity for violence. So do you, yeah. do you think it is some of that, just squeamishness? Yeah, I think it's, well, in the 1950s, if you were to say something like that, people would say, yeah, obviously. Like, duh. You know, duh. Yeah, death to the Nazis, right? In 1950s. Now there's actually a cost. It's not easy to say that anymore. Yeah. It's not easy to, to say these sorts of things because it will cost you. Just go on to Eric Khan Twitter and you will see <laughs> that saying things that quite often I'm like, why would you even say that? That's so boring. Oh my, he's got like 300 comments and death threats. What in the world? Yeah. And a lot of your tweets, just not even that exciting. No, but for some reason. They should be boring. It's like, they, yeah, a lot of them are boring. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just they bore me, at you. Dan. But seriously, it's like. Yeah, it's like a, a pretty obvious statements of like what a virtuous man would, uh, some character that a virtuous man would possess or some way that he would think about something. And it, obviously people hate it and they will try to, to dox you, to, you know, to make threats against you. Um, you will, uh, if you have a job in a, like a big company, like a corporate sort of atmosphere and you start to push back a little bit on, on bad anthropology. Like you're like, nah, I'm not going to put something like he, him in my email signature. I think that's dumb. Uh, you, there's a cost to that. There's a cost to not having the, the gay flag in your email signature for, for gay month. You know, there's a cost to not wearing, you know, the, the, um, the rainbow flag pin at, at, you know, the restaurant you work at. Right. There's a cost to doing those things now. And so it shouldn't surprise us when people who have a spotlight capitulate because the cost is high. They will lose the spotlight. 
they, they will lose the ministry with their name on it. And I'm not saying that's John Piper. I don't think that's him. But there are a lot of guys that, and those are the guys, those are the voices that stay, right? Those are the voices that, that keep getting the bidding off uh, audiences. They're the ones that get the articles is because the machine hasn't canceled them yet. The, the big Eva machine still props up those voices, the voices of cowards, because they won't say the things that are true because it's not popular. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think, Dan, I, I want to ask you about this. I know we've talked about it in past episodes. But here's another reason. Like, if, if you're going to fulfill your role as a protector, which is your God-given, you know, we see that in Genesis 2.15. It's a God-given role to be a protector. If you're going to do that, and you're going to do it well, and therefore you're going to be a good man, you have to have a capacity for violence. You have to control it. It can't be careless and reckless. But correct me if I'm wrong, like this is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons actually why men have to be and have a capacity for violence, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's easy to talk about in theory until there's a gun drawn. When things get real, yeah. you have to be able to actually back it up. Yeah. And, and um, most of us won't know that. Probably, God willing, most of us will never be put in those sorts of situations, but you have to be prepared. You have to mentally harden yourself. That's why I think the Wilderness Warrior Project is so important. When we say we're forging dangerous men in wild places, like being able to go into a hard situation to be uncomfortable, to actually accomplish a task that you set out to do, even if it's, um, you know, hunting is, it's not. It is violent, but it's not, it's not the same, you know, it's not the same, but men need to be forged. And if men are forged by women, like are most of the men in our culture, they become like women and they don't have a capacity for violence and they find it distasteful and icky. And so when the time comes, they will shrink back. And so it is, it is very important. And we take this very seriously that men need to be forged. And so the primary place that that's going to happen is through other men and mentorship. And so get in a church with masculine pastors. And if you've got, if you, if you were to ask your pastor, like John Piper said this about self-defense, uh, would you agree with that? And if he says, Oh yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, that's a guy I would not trust. Well, that that's the interesting question. I, I mean, I totally agree with you, Dan, but a lot of the pushback I got when I originally, I was like, John Piper's out of his gourd. I don't know what he's talking about. A lot of the pushback that I got from other people in the church was, well, this isn't a gospel issue. And that, that's such a weird thing that we hear today. Like, what people mean is, and they're right to an extent, like, yes, that's correct. This issue is not about the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. But I would actually argue... Yes, it is. Like Jesus is dying to protect his bride. He's dying yeah. for his wife. He's doing what Adam should have did in the garden. You know, like you're looking at this and you're like, okay, but it really is a gospel issue and it's a Genesis creational issue. So like if you're not a faithful man, I would argue very clearly you're not being obedient to Jesus, right? Oh man, Eric, this brings up such a big theological question that Maybe we don't have time for. We're going to tease people. That this is this is not a gospel issue. Is it's asinine. 
Isn't it? That's though? completely insane. It's it, it's in the very foundations, like you said, of the gospel. Even like, e- even if you were to say like, well, okay, I don't mean like the gospel is in the entire narrative, creation to redemption to the eschatological, you know, fulfillment of of the whole narrative of humanity. Like, okay, all right, sure, okay. Yeah. You mean like uh, Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, and he died the death we deserved. He he was in the grave for three days. He rose again. He, where, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he's ruling and reigning. And you need to put your faith in him and you will be saved. Like right. even that in itself, death was necessary. But but 70 AD, <laughs> I mean, Jesus came on the clouds and tread the winepress of his fury against right. his divorced people who who killed the son of God. And Matthew 24 talks a lot about that. And we're probably not going to get into eschatology, but um, to say that that violence would be, you know, in direct opposition of Christ and Christianity would be a radically ignorant statement. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting, Dan. So I think it's a good segue um, because we're talking about men need a capacity for violence, men need to protect. but. Let's let's flip it. Like I've been a pastor, you're a pastor now. Men not only have to protect against physical threats, right? Men need to protect their sons against pornography. They need to protect their daughters against immodesty. They need to protect their wives against being a gossipy, slanderous, brawling woman who's dividing her household. You know, um and and on this issue with the gospel-centered stuff, Men need to be able to engage in false teaching and be able to uh, defend their family in in a meaningful theological way, rationally, against that teaching. And one of those, I would argue, is this crappy pietism. Um, yeah, because like it's it's kind of an awesome issue to actually talk about because you got to dismantle the theology so that you can get to the point where you you know you're actually physically protecting your family. And if people swallow that crappy theology, you know, they're just going to be like, well, John Piper told me to let my wife die. Yeah. Well, so you could even say like, well, it's just, it is just like one maybe situation. Like how many home invasions actually happen, you know, to a person like, okay, so maybe they don't happen that often. Once in a lifetime, maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So, so okay, let's, let's take this into a different direction. Like you said, how about with other areas of life? We uh, men have abdicated their responsibility in protecting their family so much that the SBC loses 80% of their kids every year because they send their kids to public school. They fail to protect the minds of their children and their discipleship. I mean, so there you go. Do you want to talk about something other than violence? How about, how about ideology? How about poisoning the mind of your children and creating pagans? Again, Chesterson Chesterson said, you know, don't don't be surprised when you send your kids to Caesar and they come back Romans, you know. So there you go, public school, or like you said, failure because of your own um, immorality and your lack of repentance because you don't want to confess to your wife and to your pastor of your pornography use. Now your kids find your pornography, they stumble on your 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 computer history, or just because. You're defiling your own house and the sins of the father are passed on to their sons. Your 
your boys are now going to look at pornography and be destined to have to fight uh, battles that you refuse to fight yourself. So, so it all stems from the same sin, and that's not taking joyful responsibility, the assumption of joyful responsibility. And you are responsible for the safety of your family. You're responsible for the development of your children, their discipleship, their education. You're responsible to confront your wife about her sins. You're also responsible for being humble and confessing your sins. Because First John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sins, um, that he, he will make you. He's um, faithful he's and just I say to it, forgive us from just all for, sin. There you go. I say it every week. You'd think I remember it (laughs) and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. And so, (laughs) and so that's, uh, it, it, this is the same podcast every week in a lot of ways. And it's just, it is about taking responsibility about doing the hard things and not shirking your responsibilities. That that's so huge, Dan, that you bring that up. And I think with protection, especially when you when you recognize that protection, okay, protection is in all these phases. You know, every warrior will tell you your mind is your your best weapon. Okay, so that applies for your kids. It applies for your wife. Uh, but all of it is dependent on you having this understanding as a man that what my wife is watching on TV, like that's my responsibility. I, I yeah. just get so my my grits get so overcooked, Dan. When guys tell me things like. <laughs> I'm like, why is your daughter dressing like that in church? And guys will tell me, well, I just don't have any control over what she does. I'm like, bro, what you don't have is you're not taking responsibility for what she does. And you are responsible for her. You're responsible for yeah. your wife. You're responsible for your kids. And, and the porn thing, you know, like guys are like, oh, my teenage son's struggling with porn. Like, well, you know, that's just something he's going to have to work out on his own. Like, that's a guy who's not taking responsibility. He's not taking responsibility no. as a protector in every sense of the word um, in his home. Yeah, I know. I Yeah, I just had a conversation recently with a guy in counseling. He's like, I don't understand my, why my wife is doing this. And I said, what trough is she eating at? Like, what is she, how does she entertain herself? What is she reading? And he was like, oh, I guess she watches like, you know, SVU or some, some like true crime stuff. And that's about it. She doesn't really read or anything like that. I'm like, well, she's being catechized. Like yeah. she's being discipled. It's just badly, you know, it, you need to, you need to take an interest and responsibility for the formation and discipleship of your family. Yeah. So that, that's a huge one, Dan, is the ha- having a mind to, you know, say to your wife, for example, but, but saying like, okay, um, and I've been there, you know, you, you have a, a wife, you got young kids, but we used to always say to dads, like, you know, I've seen your wife get up like six times in the church service to take yeah. the kid out. I wonder how much of the sermon or how much of the service she's getting. And she's probably the one in your home that needs it the most. So like, Hey, you dad, why, you know, why don't you take a few of those turns? Yeah. I know that when I went to Christ church in Moscow, uh, to visit one Sunday, I was shocked because all of the guys holding kid, all the guys were holding kids. Yeah. There were no ladies holding kids. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, it's not a rule, hard and fast rule sort of thing, but the culture that they had developed were no, I'm going to take, um, responsibility for my little, little ones. And, um, I'm going to, you know, step out with the, with the kids. And, and I think in a lot of ways, it's a way to 
protect your wife by making sure she's fed by the scriptures. Um, she's having, you know, a few moments of sanity as moms with young kids need so desperately. Um, but then, yeah, making sure your wife's on a, a scripture reading plan, making sure that I know in our family, we, we got the Canon app and it's been so huge because my wife will be cleaning and she's listening to a Nancy Wilson podcast. Well, gosh, yeah. I would rather do, do for me. It's like, do you know, guys are like, I can't afford the Canon app. I'm like, bro, it's like eight bucks a month, you know, and yeah. you can fill your home with quality content, like get rid of your cable then. Yeah. There are very few things that you could spend like $15 on that would actually change your life. And that's one like, of them. I, I'm sure you'd have like, you could have five books that you'd pick where like, these are, these are revolutionary in my life and in my understanding of the way that w- the world works about God. And it wouldn't even be a hundred bucks no. that you could spend on that. You know, just like however much you spend on Disney plus, you know, you could have on the Canon, you could have the Canon app and listen to things that are actually like of great value. So small things like that are protecting your family. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, Dan, I think it's been an awesome conversation. I want to wrap things up. I appreciate everybody listening to this episode of the podcast. We haven't talked about it in a while, but we do have, we still have our website, Dan. It's wilderness-warrior.com. Yeah, uh, just a reminder, Dan, like, what can we find there? You know what you should go and buy? You should, you should go and buy a pint glass. You should buy a Wilderness Warrior pint glass for that cold, cold beer that you're going to have after you're done mowing your lawn in your Wilderness Warrior t-shirt. And uh, I don't remember what else. And and for the fire at night, you know, you're going to wear your Wilderness Warrior hoodie. What else do we have there? I think that's about it. T-shirts, hoodies. Yep. T-shirts, hoodies, glorious pint glass. Pine glasses. I got a Dan. I don't even know if you know this yet, but I got I got to give a shout out here. You can follow him on Instagram. He goes by ninety seventeen woodworking. That's his handle ninety seventeen woodworking. But he contacted us, contacted me, and he said, "Hey, I want to." uh, We sent him some some pine glasses. He said, "I want to send you some uh, cutting boards." So we got to talking, and he's a woodworker, Dan. And so he's making these be- uh-huh. beautiful, giant uh, cutting board for me. It's like two feet by three feet. It's for brisket. Whoa. Dude, butcher oh, block. dang. Two inches thick. Yeah. He's engraving. Oh, man. They're like wood burning the uh, Wilderness Warrior logo into it. What? It's going to be lit. I don't know anything about this. I know. How do I not don't? I'm not like the director of business operations. Come I know. On. It's because I was going to. I surpri- just made up that title right now. <laughs> I oh. just, I'm trying to surprise you on the show, Dan, with this incredible news. So, so he's making this. He's going to send it to me. But, but he told me, he said, you got to tell Dan. I didn't want Dan to be left out. So I'm also sending one to Dan. What? But he said, I'm going to send Dan's. It's going to be just a hair smaller than yours. Because Dan's always making fun of how small you are. So I thought that just to just just so you'd have something good to talk about on the show. But Dan, isn't that cool? You're getting a, a custom made cutting board. Ninety seventeen woodworking, right? That's his that's his handle. Yeah. Ninety seventeen woodwork. That guy, he is funny. That's Dude, hilarious. Isn't that awesome? Just a little bit smaller. That is awesome. Dude, I that is awesome. I'm all about it. So, you know, we're always talking about Dan. We're talking about business partnerships. And people who, yeah. you know, we've done stuff with Quinn Bible in Illinois, 
By the way, if you haven't checked it out, Salt and Strings Butchery uh, on yeah. Facebook, you can you can keep up with this. They're completely redoing uh, their butchery. They had a great year. Uh, obviously, the demand for meat is huge. Quinn's been a huge supporter of this show, Hardman Podcast. Um, we've we've had a lot of good recipes and stuff from him. But again, if you're if you're a Christian business owner, you're listening to this show. You're like, hey, how do we partner? Let's you know, let's talk, Dan. And you, what, yeah, what's your it. title again? Uh, director of business operations. Yeah. So talk and to Dan. O- owner, CEO. Owner. What's my title? What What is your What is your title? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was El Presidente. El Presidente. I thought. I thought you were like the creative director. Isn't that it? Oh, you have yeah, to talk yeah. with a lisp, though. Don't most creative directors <laughs> talk with a lisp? Uh, 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 not this one, Dan. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So anyway, 9017 Woodworking, be sure to check that out. We'll show pictures on our social media accounts. Uh, Jordan is the fellow behind that one. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate the, uh, the partnership and uh, some, some sweet you know, cutting boards. Uh, yes, last sir. thing, Dan, I want to say to our listeners, we really appreciate you guys. Uh, by all means, check out our Instagram feed. Um, we got some new and fresh content coming that way. We also have an episode upcoming with Mr. Bill Rapier, DevGuru SEAL Team 6, which will be next week on the Wilderness Warrior podcast. So, Dan, that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, he's, good. he's like the real Wilderness Warrior and not a poser like me. I mean, he's going to like tell us some stuff. Oh, dude. I... You know, spoiler alert, I already did that interview, but Bill was like legit, you know. He's not like a TV uh-huh. cop, he's like a real cop because he is a cop, but he's not a cop, he's a SEAL. See what I mean? No, but I look forward to listening to it. <laughs> it's great. It's going to be a great show. <laughs> so we encourage people to check that out. By all means, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. We definitely appreciate that. And we will catch you guys in the next episode. We'll see you next time. Until next time, men, live dangerously, be wild, and embrace the wilderness warrior way of life.